All right, so let's get started. Uh, tuning into the Nick Yacani podcast, we're starting a new series, uh, the Father Son series. Today we're featuring the one and only uh, Nick Yacani. And uh, today we're going to hear more about uh, your story and how you got started and uh, when you were coming and from Iran and how you became so big in the finance world. Uh, you know, I think it's definitely a story you've told me uh, a lot, but I think it's a story that people really need to hear because I think the American dream still is uh, so important uh, for for people to hear the inspiration behind it um, from any age, from my age, soldier age. So uh, let's get started. So, so Dad, why don't we go back um, in time, go back all the way to... Uh, the revolution and you know why you left Iran and 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 what brought you to where you are now from being on 670 and in Hamra and having top clients uh, from all over come in and invest with you and and how you're changing lives um, so how, how did how did you start from Iran let's go back well imagine I'm 16 years old and I wake up and my father is dead how about if you start from there? That's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in carpet business. He was a big businessman. He had a good name, a lot of customers, and very good asset when he passed away. But then gradually, that asset started dropping, and we started having financial issues because uh, we were a family of five, five kids, and my mother never worked, so... Little by little, we started eating off our asset, and it got to a point that there was not much money left. Uh, we st- uh, my mother started creating some debts. We had creditors knocking on door. We only could have maybe two meals, not three meals a day. Oh, wow. And uh, we were about to lose our house, and literally becoming poor. If it wasn't because of my uncles that they came to help us, and they, they bought us a house, and they helped us financially, I don't think I would have been here today. So there was always somebody that helps somebody, and thank God. And that story is gonna help you to be born, actually, when somebody's helping somebody else, which I'm gonna get into that. Okay. <laughs> so, kind of fast forward, I left Iran because things were starting to get bad. The revolution was about to happen. And I had a chance to leave Iran to go to university. But I couldn't obtain visa to come to U.S. I had friends in Philippines. They said, why don't you come here? Stay with us for a few months. Learn some English. Schools are not bad. Take some classes and you can transfer and then go to U.S. I said, it's not a bad idea. Sounds like a vacation and going to school. So they greeted me at the airport, this big group of Persian friends, and they took me to their house. It was a party time, I have to be honest. They were hardly studying, but they were going to school. Oh, so you had Persian friends in the Philippines. Yeah, Persian. yeah, that okay. they had gone over there and then we were in communication. Uh-huh. So it was a fun time. We will go to university, we will come together, and 
We were just having fun, you know, typical 23 years old guy. But then I lost 20 pounds, by the way, when I got into Philippines, because in Philippines, humidity is like close to 100 degrees, 100%, I should say. It gets really hot and humid. I lost weight. I was dripping, literally. Sweating. Oil, not even sweat. It was, I was dripping oil. <laughs> so I went to a doctor and I said, what's wrong with me? I'm losing weight. I became skeleton. <laughs> he says that this weather is having pressure on you and this is month of March in Philippines, which is their summer. It will rain up to your knees <laughs> sometimes. He says that, well, you get used to it. It's due to the weather. You're not sick. Anyways, we had a good time. But then I wanted to come to U.S. I see more opportunity in U.S. I kind of got tired of partying with those guys. And I wanted to start my life. I wanted to get serious and get the life going. What year was this? This is 1978. So I go to American Embassy. And then they rejected me because I was going to school and they said, you can't leave the country in the middle of the school season and go to U.S. They said, why are you going over there? I said, I'm going to visit. They said, no, you can't do that. Anyways, I left the American embassy after I was rejected and I bumped into another Iranian guy. If I didn't have that bump in 1978, I don't think you would have been born Bijan today because that bomb, he helped me to obtain visa and I came to Los Angeles. I started living in Torrance. And that's where I landed first. So he helped me to get visa. Uh, if I didn't come to US. What was the excuse? Like what, 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 what was the reason for coming? Was it to visit? Was it? Like, what uh, did you tell the embassy exactly? I told them I want to go visit and see if I can enroll myself to school. Because oh, okay. I, I didn't want to stay there. And they didn't want to give me visa. They said, you're not really clear what you want to do. Are you going to tourist or are you going to study? I said, I'm going to go see if I can stay. Then I'll stay and go to school. You just wanted to get to America. <laughs> I just wanted to get to America like everybody else. Like I was ready else. to swim. Yeah. Uh, but... If I wasn't coming here, I would have never met Liz, your mom, right. at the school, and you would have been never, never been born. <laughs> but anyways, that's how I came to this country. And I don't want to give to the, I don't want to get into that old story of the, oh, I came to this country with $200 yeah. in my pocket. Everybody has heard that. So add me to that list also. To make the long story short, started working, Brought some money, very little money, very little money, just maybe enough for a month to survive. And then I had two shifts. And then I went to school, and uh, that's why I started in U.S. Where were and you? What was your first? You told me, um, it's so funny, it's like the best story. It's, you go to the Burger King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, <laughs> yeah. I go to Burger King. Yeah. It's the, let's say, the first or second day I'm at the U.S., there were a couple of guys, a friend of mine, that picked me up from the airport. I went to their house on Garnet Street and Hawthorne Boulevard. People that they live in Torrance, they know that street. And city of Torrance. And then I walked out on Hawthorne Boulevard. And I saw a 
uh, Burger King. I'm sorry, it was Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. I walk into Carl's Jr. I'm starving. I'm looking at the menu. I don't know how to order food in English. And I don't know how to count U.S. dollars and change, dime, nickels. So I, I point out the burger on the menu. The cashier looks at it. I said, that. <laughs> so she gives me that. And she probably, she asked me, you know, she tells me maybe it's 30 cents or whatever. I held my, all of my changes in my hand. And she took whatever is needed to pay for that burger. Yeah, that's why I started. So it, it's fascinating. Not being able to count U.S. dollars yeah, and chains and dimes and nickels to talk about tax planning with millionaires in Los yeah. Angeles almost 30-some years later. What a story. It's fascinating. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's such a good story, you know, to hear that, 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 you know, coming from that place and then now you're over here talking about, you know, finance to people and advising. I mean, one, at one point you couldn't even count a U.S. dollar. And uh, it's so funny because I was actually, when I would listen to some of Tony Robbins' tapes, he would say, like, uh, he met a, a, this one guy that he was talking to. He, uh, you know, he had so much money and he lost money. And, and this, he meets this bum one day and the bum was like, uh, can you talk English? And he says, yeah, well, then you're blessed. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can you count uh, quarters? You're blessed. Can you count dollars? You're blessed. And it's just the little things to be blessed. Like, you know, you came here, you couldn't even count a dollar. But you know, these little things, you, you don't really, you take it for granted, you know. It's yeah. like, there's a really, a lot of, especially kids my age, it's, in America, you take I a know. lot of things for granted. But I mean, that's a great opportunity because, I mean, look at, I came really from under the zero to talk on the radio to very, very successful population in the U.S. called Iranians. Iranians are very successful in finances. To be able to give financial advice on the radio to Iranians is not easy because they know almost a lot in finances. So, but there we are. Somehow I have survived. It's been 37 years in this business. Wow. So knock on wood. <laughs> and so, um, okay, so you, you know, you, what, was, what was your first job in America? I work at the gas station in the city of Costa Mesa. It was a shell gas station owned by a Persian guy. So I got a part-time job there. The Persian guy, of yeah. course. And then I started working at a travel agency in Los Angeles called Travel by Walco. So it was right across from um, uh, California Mart, which was a fashion district for Los Angeles. So, and my school was in Los Angeles. So that was my part-time job. The days that I went to school, I worked at the travel agency. The days that it was off day for the school, then I worked at the gas station. Um, and I slept at the gas station because my shift will end at 12 o'clock. I had to open the station at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, wow. I would just pick up, a, I would grab a blanket we always had some pickup trucks in the garage parked there waiting for the parts to come to be fixed. So I would just go and sleep in one of the back of those pickup trucks. Wow. <laughs> Literally is the American dream. I mean, it's American dream. sleeping in a car. But you know? know what, though? It makes the life sweet. Those challenges that you go through at the yeah. time, you say, oh, my gosh, I'm sleeping in a pickup truck in a closed garage in the gas station. But you know what? Today, when you look at it, 
That's what's called life, full of challenges, full of surprises, and then you cherish it more for some reason. If it's given to you, you don't appreciate it as much. I think, so, I think yeah, that's the term they call these days self-made. Correct. You know, you can say you're self-made. I tell you, but it's not easy and it's not fun also to start from minus. At least it's good to start from zero. Minus is really hard. So I would say I started from minus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say... Coming from rich family to under zero at age 24, not speaking the language, foreign countries, pedaling on the streets, <laughs> pumping <laughs> gas. <laughs> it's not fun. It's always good to have little help. But yet what happened is that when you're at my age, right. you have such a confidence that you know if they take everything away from you, doesn't matter. You can start all over again and you still survive. Yeah. And that's the confidence that you always need to have. So it, it kind of builds the foundation for being uh, kind of recession-proof all the time. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, Anthony Robbins' seminars have helped me a lot. I learned a lot because my father died when I was 16. I didn't have any coach. Nobody was to teach me. So not only had the financial challenges, building career, paying the bills challenges, I had to kind of mature myself somehow. Right. And it kind of came from a spoiled family, being the youngest, but yet I had to learn, so I started learning a lot by reading Anthony Robbins' books, tapes. I started practicing. I kind of started doing some of the things that he was saying. For some reason, all of them work for me. So I kind of learned a lot from that. And I would advise everybody, if you don't have a coach, don't try to learn everything on your own. Just find somebody that has done it and then learn from them. Yeah, I mean, I think success, you know, yeah. success leaves clues. You know, that's what the, I heard a lot. Yeah. And I know the Tony Robbins because when I was 12 years old, you would play that tape for me every morning before I'd go to school. So yeah. I definitely think it's an amazing, it doesn't hurt you. You know, it's something good to hear every morning. And it's I made it mandatory for my entire family to go to some of those seminars. Yeah. I sit there for 12, 13 hours a day. Yeah, you, a, you guys all went to that. It was a very good experience. I always um, believed in having two educations, school, universities, and also somebody as a life coach. Right. Because what you learn as a life coach is not something that you learn at school. So combination of both creates this magical life, which actually creates a bridge. Bridge is very important in people's life. It creates a bridge between the art of living and the art of financial success. People that they don't have the bridge and they can just go back and forth. Unfortunately, they come and go and they never get the juice of life. I've seen a lot of millionaires. It was a total waste to be a millionaire for them. They never enjoyed their life, which they could have had magical life. So all of this goes back to the fundamentals, what you learn. Yeah. So I wasn't born, I was born in wealth. But when I needed the money at age 16, my family was going through financial hardship. So 
People cannot say, oh, Nikki Connie comes on the radio, talks about millions and millions of dollars, investment, this and that. No, no, no. I wasn't handed nothing. So, and that confidence kind of carries you for life. And I want everybody to know that uh, your blueprint, who you are and who you become, it's something nobody can ever take away from you. So, and also it teaches you Another thing I think in life, that uh, cherish your days because they are numbered. They are numbered. So it's all numbers. And then since we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, maybe today is the last day of my life. And if I can practice to live those days, as it is my life, as it is my last day in life, I mean, imagine what kind of day you're going to have. Would you have time to be upset at somebody? Would you have time to sue somebody? You spend a half a day at the court? Would you have time to be jealous at people or be negative or be sad? There's no time for that kind of negativity. And also one thing I learned, again, I learned this from Anthony Robbins. People tend to dump trash on a daily basis in your brain. Don't make your brain a trash can for them to dump their trash on you. Because whatever they say who you are doesn't mean anything or how they judge you. So one thing, the minute that there is a negativity coming, I kind of walk away. Because I know somebody's gonna dump trash in my brain. And then whether that's gonna affect me or not, I just don't wanna hear. So I stay away from negative, negativity and I surround myself with positive, with positivities. That has helped me a lot. Uh, I think it's important to laugh a lot during the day. I laugh a lot. When market is down 2,000 points, I'm laughing. You're laughing? <laughs> yeah, because you know why? Because I ensured the principal of my clients. They're not losing money. So I'm yeah. going to laugh. But what I'm referring to is that I don't want to get into business side because I just want people to know more about me because I'm just a regular human being right. that just happened to practice to live better. Mm-hmm. Because since I deal with money, I see a lot of successful people. And they all have something in common. Success is very lonely at the top. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like being elevated 10,000 feet above the sea level. You're in the sky. You only hear the wind. You can hear other noises. So success becomes very lonely at the top. It's important to share the success with surroundings, with loved ones. That's really important. It actually brings its more, more success but the fundamental success. Because if you're not happy, it shows in your face. A lot of times, physically, when you look at somebody, you could kind of tell what kind of people they are inside. And that comes from their posture, the face impressions, the way they sit, the way they talk, the way they move. So these are all things that I, I learned. But, uh, but if you're healthy, you have no reason to complain. If you're healthy. If you wake up and you're healthy, 
you cannot complain about life. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you've told me as you know, as a kid, is your health is your number one asset, right? Your health is your number one asset. I mean, I hear that in your on your YouTube now that you just started your YouTube. I've heard it. You say it throughout your day. I mean, um, your your personality in general is contagious, you know. And I think a lot of that. I, I think the perfect word to describe a lot of people have told me is that you're 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 contagious. You know, right. you you walk into the room and people see you, and I think that's why a lot of people honestly have in, invested into your company. I don't. I I know that you know you sell one of the best products, um, and we can get into that in another episode with with Robert Schiller, and then. Uh, you know, I, I think um, a lot of people invest in you and they know that you have this certain outlook uh, in life. And, you know, it's not always about numbers and it's not always about your returns. It's also the kind of relationship you have with someone, especially as your financial advisor. And a lot of uh, people that invest with you, you also are kind of become friends with them, you know. So... We'll get in more into you know your business and your finance uh, in the next episode, but uh, I wanted to just come back to your uh, first job. You know, mm-hmm. let's go back to your life because okay. there's I feel like there's so much more uh, that's unsaid in that. Yep. Uh, so when did you start the finance? When did you get into financing? When did you start becoming the insurance guy? Well, initially I started an insurance business because it was the easiest license to obtain at the time. And investment licenses were hard. And going to school and all of that, it was really hard for me. However, uh, my first job was, I answered an ad under the classified uh, newspaper of Los Angeles Times. When you were not born, uh, the world wasn't like this, my time. We used to buy newspaper every day. We used to put a quarter or maybe a nickel or dime. And every day, the newspapers were distributed throughout the city. So we will pick up this Los Angeles Times. There was Daily News and Los Angeles Times. And then we will go to classified section. And that's where the uh, eBay was, let's say. People were selling, hiring, and putting ads. So you will find your topic, and then there it comes the listing of your topic that you're looking for. So classify jobs. And I answered this job that it said, how do you make $1,000 a week? That was like making $10,000 a week here now at this time. Yeah. So I answered this company in Encino, California, and I go there. I didn't know that they're going to take me uh, to go cold calling on the streets or traveling to farms to sell them insurance. They never told me that. So you probably got the I didn't know this was an insurance sales agency that I'm getting into. They said that this is a career. Here's the book. Study for this license, which was the insurance license. <laughs> they put me into... Uh, to, Class. So every day I will wake up, go to this class, and we will learn about this book that was how to pass insurance exam. And there was a teacher used to teach us. I still didn't know what I'm going to do. They kind of keep it secret. Because I guess if you knew you're going to go cold calling door to door or traveling, sleeping in the motels, 
and selling insurance to farmers, you're not going to last too long if you know it in advance. They will kind of get you used to it first. So it was a, whatever you call them, it wasn't the, the most honest way of getting me into this career. So I got into that. I got, I got my license. I was excited. And then my manager says that be at work uh, four o'clock in the morning. Wow. I said, four o'clock a.m.? He says, yeah, not p.m. <laughs> not p.m. I say, why so early? He says, because you're going to sit in my car. We're going to travel out of town. I said, are we going on a vacation? He says, no, we're going to work. Because at 7 o'clock when we get there, we're going to drive three hours. When we get there, uh, we're going to basically have some trainings, and I'm going to show you how to make $1,000 a day. This guy was a, I, I remember you told me this guy was a hard ass. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 he, yeah. I mean, I remember one time you told me that you were, you know, you were, uh, you were doing really good in that business. You know, you were selling the farmer's uh, insurance, right? It was farmer yeah. door to door. And one day you go to the guy and you said you wanted to quit, right? You said, I right. want to quit. Yeah. And what did he tell you? Uh, he says, you know what? You walk out of the store, you're more than welcome to leave my office. But if you walk out of the store, you are a pussycat. Yeah. That's what he called me. I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, why don't you go back and just go sit next to your wife and be unemployed. If you're a man, you get on the streets and make money. I'm showing you how to get paid what you're worth. But maybe you are not that person. Maybe I need to hire you. And then if you're really good, I'll give you 25 cents more per hour. Maybe you're not a leader. Maybe you're an order taker. Maybe you are not a guy that wants to get paid what it's worth. Maybe you're the guy that wants to get paid what other people think he worth. Which one are you? I came back. I said, what are you talking about? He says, that's exactly what I said. You are afraid of being a man. I said, what? I'm already married. And you were not born. Cassandra wasn't born. Monica wasn't born. So I kind of came back. I said, what does it take to be the guy that you say? He says that this week, instead of 4 a.m., we're going to travel Saturday night. Oh, my God. So when we wake up Sunday, we're already there. <laughs> I said, where are we going? He says, Tulare. Where's that? I said, where's Tulare? He says, it's about another two and a half hours from Fresno. Really? And you're coming from where? From LA? We're Los Angeles. Oh, and, wow. you know, I was living at the Granada yeah, yeah, Hills. Yeah. I said, what? So anyways, to make the long story short, this went on for three years. Three years? I didn't years. quit. You were going up to Fresno. One day I was going to Fresno one week. One week I was going to uh, Sonoma County. It's about two hours drive from San Francisco. This is all driving. Then I was going to San Diego. Then I was going by Arizona borders, by Palm Springs and further down. I was going all over. And you weren't even closing every time. Half the, you told me half the, 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 the people were slamming the door in your face, right? Of course. I was paying my expenses. I was sleeping at the Motel 6 because it was the cheapest place to stay. And then I would work 10, 15 hours a day. I won't make money. 
but I have to pay my expenses. I will come back to a motel exhausted. So, and I will go to places that it, it looked like Alfred Hitchcock movies. I always remember there was a night that it was raining in Palm Springs, but not the city. We're talking about out of town, I mean, out of the city, there's long roads, endless, like a desert. You will drive and there was no GPS. You didn't know where you're going. We had Atlas map, map book. It was Atlas book. It will open and then we will just follow that. At night with flashlights, if you miss one street, you could run out of gas by the time you come back. So it's like I left at five o'clock. I'm getting to this place. It's almost like 7.30. It's getting dark. It's pouring. It's raining so hard. I get to this farm somewhere in Palm Springs. I don't remember. And the gate is open. And the wind is blowing. This gate is opening, closing, opening, closing. And I see a light at this old house, maybe two minutes drive. So I'm driving over there and there are two uh, German shepherds are kind of running towards me, but I'm in the car. So I stop in the front of the house and I'm honking. By now it's about 7.30, quarter to eight at night. It's pouring. You're honking. Yeah. <laughs> You're honking. Yeah. To get the guy's attention. Yeah. To sell him something. Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? Oh yeah. my God. So. That's so funny. The guy opens the door. <laughs> he sees somebody sitting in the car. The question is, did you actually close this? Did you, did this guy end I up did. buying something? I did. I hope so. Yeah, I did. So he took me in. He, he kind of whistled at the dogs and dogs went back. He took me in. I never forget the vision. I go to this house. There is one light in a kitchen table. There's one single light. Like a horror movie. Yeah. And the whole house is dark. It is a horror movie. And I'm kind of saying, what the hell are you doing here, Nick? Just get the hell out of here, man. Who do you know this guy is? So I sit there. The guy's not sitting. He's standing. He's standing. And, and he's you're about, sitting. He's about, not as big as Shaq, but he's a pretty big guy. And I'm sitting down. Hoping that when I sit down, he's going to sit, but he's not sitting. And then there's lamp hanging <laughs> in the corner of the kitchen table. I said, are you married? He says, no, I'm the only one in this house. So the movie is getting even more scary. <laughs> it's like universal. I didn't know what to do. So I said, I'm here on a courtesy call to go over your insurance contract. He says, last week I had a guy that did the same thing. I'm clearing what I have. If that's all you want to say, please leave. I said, no, there has been some changes into your contract. He says, what kind of changes? I said, would you want to sit down so I can explain? He says, no, I'm standing up. I said, okay. So I said, up to now, this was your coverage. Now we added this coverage. It's going to cost you $300 a year. And I'm here for you to sign this. So we can add this to your insurance coverage. So you'll be protected for sickness and accident. Because what you had was accident. Well, let's be honest here. You were pissing your pants. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I couldn't wait to get out of there. But it took me so long to get there. So I wanted to finish the story. You know what he did? What? What did he do? He turned the light off. So you're in pitch black. It's pitch black. 
I'm just sitting in the dark and I don't know what's going on, but I could hear him walking on the wood floor. I'm thinking that maybe he's going to the kitchen to bring a knife or something. This is the end of my life. And I'm here trying to earn. And my commission was going to be $150 out of that sales. I was going to get 150 Are you kidding? Yeah, $150. So the guy comes back and he turns the light on back. He has a jar full of money. Puts it on the kitchen table. Wow. He says, take your $300. I put my hand in the jar. I took $300. And I see, my gosh, there's even more money. I said, by the way, if you go to the hospital, they're going to give you $300 a day. But if you give me a little bit more, if you go to the hospital, they're going to give you $1,000 a day. Should we just increase your coverage? Because I saw the money was there. And this guy could need this coverage. If he goes to the hospital, $1,000 a day is a lot of money. Yeah. He says, how much would that be? I said, 600 a year. He says, take it. So I took it. And then I said, sign here. He says, I normally don't sign anything. I said, just put your name there. So you put your name there, 600, I was out of there. <laughs> Do you remember his name? I, I don't remember his name. White guy, what was he? It was a white guy, as big as, a little smaller than Shaq. Wow. It was a big guy. What a story. Yeah. Could have been in a movie. Yeah. Also, one time I remember, I knock on the store, the lady opens the door, I said, I'm here on a courtesy call to cover your coverage. Husband shows up right behind her. And he says that if you don't get out of here, I'm going to bring a gun. I have a gun. Just get out of here. And then the wife says, he's not here to talk to you. You go in. He's talking to me. So I said, thank God. And then, and then he says, I told him to leave. This is another farmer. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy slammed the door on me. I go to the back door because I knew the wife was on my side. I go to the back door and I wanna, I'm knocking on the kitchen door now. The wife opened the door and the husband says that, you didn't hear me. She tells the husband, shut up, go over there. He wants to talk to me, you come in. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was safe, I remember that day. <laughs> that was another, that was around the same time? That's the way I used to. That's the way you used to sell. That's the way we used to sell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's the way we used to sell. <laughs> True story. You should just write a, you should write a book. Seriously. You really this, could write a book. With, you have so many of those stories. I have so many stories about people financials. Yeah. There's so many problems. Because yeah. what happened is that I normally see husband and wife together if they are married. Mm -hmm. And I do what's called financial x-ray. When I take this financial x-ray... Normally, the conversation between husband and wife, sometimes is, it gets really heated. Normally, the wives are not happy the way the husbands are handling the money. Because guys are doing more risk. The wives are more, you know, like kind of more, they want to protect the future. They're more conservative. Husbands are more aggressive. There's always this, not always, but tension. there's a good tension most of the time. And then that has taught me so much. I've learned so much talking to maybe 70,000 people, maybe 80,000 people in my lifetime. Yeah. Maybe 100. Yeah. And this is face to face. If you put 10,000 hours to anything, they say you become master in that. Right. 
I must have put 70, 80,000 hours into this, maybe even 100,000. Well, I think that's why you're so good. I mean, because you can, after you sing 80, after you see 80,000 people, you can see there's kind of a pattern. Correct. Right? There's a pattern Correct. to their finance, to the way they handle their finances, to the way that they go about their finances. I mean, it's a, it's a pattern that you could give or take see coming and what you could probably do best for them and what they need to. Right. As you say, I've heard you a lot, um, instill in their blueprint on how to handle their finances. Uh, anyways, I think that really, you know, says how much experience you have in this. I mean, so... Because um, I did this with machine called human being. Yeah. They act differently to different topics. So in the first... 60 seconds, I have to know what kind of machine I'm dealing with. Because if, if their machine is based on greed, that's a totally different presentation. That's a totally different planning. That's a totally different route you have to take. Many times people go to see financial planners and then after they leave the office, they go sit back in their car to drive back home. They say, Honey, did you know what he was talking about? And then let's say wife says, no, I didn't get it. And then the wife says, honey, did you get it? He says, no, I didn't know what he was talking about. Because if you don't identify what kind of machine you're dealing with, plan will not happen. Yeah. A lot of time people put time and effort to go see a financial planner. But then they come out of there not doing anything. Confused. Because they wanted to go left, but... Financial planner was going to the right. It was totally different. So if the fundamentals are not there and you cannot adjust your planning based on who you're dealing with. I mean, I have dealt with people that they had $400 million net for. And I've dealt with people that they're barely making, you know, $40,000 a year. So, but it's actually harder to do, to do planning for somebody that was making 40, 50,000 a year. Versus somebody that they already got the ingredients, all you have to just put it together is like a good chef. Once the ingredients are there, you can make a good food. But you're a good chef if the ingredients are not there and you can make a good food with what is in the refrigerator, yeah. which is not a lot. So anyways, that being said, I guess we're already up to 38 minutes. We don't yeah. want to put people to sleep. No. Should we continue this in another gonna, podcast? Because yeah. I got so much story. It's going to be I endless. Know, I know. So we're, I think this was a good start uh, just for people to get to know a little bit of your background, a little bit of your Hollywood movie <laughs> that you've had. I'm sure we have more. And um, we'll take it to the next podcast.